Let's see how this goes. Welcome, everyone. Because I was going to say ladies and gentlemen, but, like, there's probably not that many ladies who can stand me. Like, I know that's the way it is in real life. So, I'm 38 and I'm single. You know, sometimes sometimes in life wants to uh, drop you a hint. Uh, you better take it. Welcome. Ah, welcome, ladies, if you're any of you are listening. Welcome, gentlemen, who always listen. It's the Soups on Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Campbell, a very special edition of the Soups on Hockey Podcast. I say special, you might say really shitty, because there's no music this time, there's no sound drops this time, and it is a road trip to see some of my friends on a Saturday afternoon. It's currently 1.06 on that Saturday afternoon. I'll post this podcast as soon as I'm done, so it'll be later Saturday afternoon. But I thought, since I'm driving to see some friends, why not do a show? I've actually always planned on doing this, and just never, just never did it. I don't know, so now I'm doing it. Whatever. So here I am, driving, and this is all the show is going to be, is just me talking to myself, driving. There's not going to be any hockey. There's not going to be any humor. It's just me driving. Maybe I should get into this lane. Turn signals kind of acting up a little bit. Wonder, wonder what's on the on the radio. Look like too much. PC's working good. Or I should set the cruise at.
just kidding. That's not what this show is going to be about. I had you, though. Oh, the fish hook is in your mouth, and you look silly. You look very silly right now for buying that. No, of course. Of course. If we're doing the Soups on Hockey podcast, I'm doing a Soups on Hockey podcast about what the latest happenings are in the NHL. And because the Edmonton Oilers are such a reality show, that's probably what this is only going to be about, is the Darnell Nurse contract. Yep. Oh, I should point out one more thing here before we start. I know that I'm planning on saying on Twitter, I'm planning to leech off someone else's popularity. So, yeah, I'm actually not going, like, I hope I see Lynn. I don't know what Lynn's doing. But I'm actually going to see her husband and one of our other best friends. Or, you know, we're kind of like, get this, get this. I have a nickname for us, because there's three of us, right? (laughs) Get it? The Three Amigos. (laughs) I have no sense of humor. thought I'd talk about Nurse, kind of to myself, but on a podcast. Where do I begin? Well, if any of you have read my stuff over the years, which right now you can't because my website's messed up and I don't know when that's going to be fixed, you can see the articles, but you can't read them. And if you've listened to this show over what will be three years in uh, late September, over the last three years in late September, then you'll know that I have probably been Darnell Nurse's biggest supporter. There's been times where I've pulled the reins back a little bit on how I feel, but for the most part, since the kid was in his draft year, I've felt like Darnell Nurse had every ingredient to become a legitimate number one defenseman in the NHL. I was that high on him. I did not do rankings going into the 2013 draft, but I did do mock drafts on my website. That was actually one of the big inspirations to doing my website is I felt there was all these terrific NFL mock drafts that you could go on that site specifically tailored to being NFL mock drafts, and you couldn't find any of that for the NHL. I feel like I did the best mock drafts, and I'll probably get back to it at some point, though someone who rushes it, and I mean, thanks to his inside knowledge, and I haven't seen how his results were on this year's, but I know last year's, I read Corey Pronman's, after the draft, I read Corey Pronman's that he did before the draft, and he got like half of the draft rate, if not more. It was incredible. 
So I've I've been tough on Corey Pronman over the years because we view prospects in a very different way. But I'll tell you that guy's mock draft was outstanding. And the other thing is uh, Corey Pronman does a piece every year where he talks about what he where he got where he got it wrong with prospects and what he would do different. And I respect that. I respect anyone who can say, hey, I whiffed. Here's, here's what I think I did wrong. I'm going to learn from it and bounce back. Because that's, that's kind of my mentality. I, I'm, not, I'm not ever doing any of these shows or writing anything. Just because i got strong opinions doesn't mean I think I bat a thousand. And some of the people, ironically, who have told me that lately, like, I don't know what even to tell you. Like, to try and say that I'm the know-it-all, as you sit there with, and I fully know this, having half the knowledge and having done a quarter of the work, just because you know hockey, you think that you can tell me what's what when I live and breathe this stuff, not just hockey, but NHL dealings in particular, I'm talking about studying how GMs operate, studying how great organizations operate, studying the draft, studying the salary cap. Like, I have a passion for front office maneuvering in the NHL. Like, above all else, I love talking about teams' decisions because I feel like that's how games are won and lost. More than anything is decisions that the front office makes. And as I've said before, sometimes the front office will make a decision that's wrong and it'll go right. The Josh Anderson trade. I felt like Montreal made a bad trade, and I stand by that. I still believe that Montreal made a bad trade for Josh Anderson and signed him to a bad contract. But did it work? Absolutely. Ken Holland's maneuvering this summer has been horrible. Absolutely horrible. One of the worst summers that a GM has ever had, in my opinion. Does that mean it can't work? Nope. Not at all. Don't confuse the two things. I am not a believer in, well, we have to wait and see what happens with the trade to know who won and lost. Nope. We don't. If you're doing a trade, you should know value. It's what I strongly believe the Edmonton Oilers organization has no clue on, is value. You need to understand value. And the Edmonton Oilers have no clue of it. And it's not to say that the Oilers aren't potentially going to be in a great position and that this will all work out. I'm not meaning to crush anyone's hopes, but I'll tell you mine, mine in particular as an Oilers fan, um, I think that Ken Holland had an opportunity this summer to build them into legitimate contenders. And what Ken Holland has done this summer is turn them into maybe contenders if a lot of things go right and that shouldn't and and that's a failing grade in my opinion. I don't as I said on the last show, I do not blame him for Adam Larson. That was a massive blow that just stung 
like no other. That hurt, that hurt that blue line severely. But to give four years, I don't even mind the 3.25 on Cody CC, but to give him four years uh, is quite the gamble. To blindly take on Duncan Keith, take on the full salary, and give back Caleb Jones, a good young defenseman who for some reason uh, people want to undervalue. They're going to get a taste of reality this season or a healthy dose of it because you're going to see what Caleb Jones does once he has a coach that, you know, doesn't pick a vendetta with him. And added in a third-round pick, which can become a second. So not only did you blow a pick when it should have been coming the other way, Tim Sunderland. Yeah, yeah, he's Sunderland is not trending in the right direction. That was a throw-in by the Hawks. You others. Anyway, you tied up two picks because it's a conditional second. So you can't trade your second now. At a trade deadline where clearly this team is all in, this GM blows another asset. And that's what it's and that's what it's been. It hasn't been the players he's been acquiring. It's that he's blowing assets left and right. He's blowing cap space left and right. And when I say blowing cap space, I don't mean like you know, he wants to do seven years, five times five on Zach Hyman. You know, get Zach Hyman, that's fine. You probably didn't have to go five and a half on Zach Hyman. I, I haven't heard one thing about anyone else being in the hunt for Zach Hyman. We didn't hear it going into it, that there was anyone else serious about Zach Hyman. All we heard was the others. Warren Fogle. I really like Warren Fogle. You gave up a top four defenseman who's not even... Is he 25 yet? No, he's 25 next June. A 24-year-old, right-shot, proven top four defenseman for two mil a year on the cap. One more year, but... For a third-line player. And I really like Warren Fogle. You badly overpaid for Warren Fogle. You badly overpaid for Zach Hyman. You badly overpaid for Duncan Keith. And now he's badly overpaid. Oh, sorry, he badly overpaid for Cody Cece. And now he's badly overpaid for Darnell Nurse. And I am Darnell Nurse's biggest fan, maybe? This is ridiculous. Darnell Nurse, based off one season, I am very willing to give Darnell Nurse eight to eight and a half per year on an eight-year deal. Because I'm that big of a believer in him. So you might say, well, Soups, you're willing to go eight and a half for him. What's another 750K? What's another 750K, you ask? 
thanks for asking. If you look at all, if you add up all the overpayments that Ken Holland has done this summer, you're looking at seven to ten million on the cap that he has blown. Seven to ten million. Not to mention continually blowing through mid-round picks for a team that now that they're going to be severely, severely handcuffed by the cap. They are going to badly need that system to develop players. It's not good. And again, if everything goes right for the Oilers, here's the thing I will say for Darnell Nurse. Out of all the defensemen who have signed that monstrosity of a deal, and I don't fully blame Ken Holland for the deal. Stan Bowman was the first moron who stepped up and said he'd give Seth Jones $9.5 million. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Darnell Nurse, out of Jones, himself, and Hamilton, has the best chance of living up to the contract. He has the best chance. Because I have, and I don't know how many times now I have said it, but if you've listened to me before, you've heard me say it a lot. Darnell Nurse will not peak until he's in his late 20s. He is currently 26. He turns 27 in February. I believe that his peak will be 27, 28 to 34, 35. So that is what I will say, in fairness, is that he has the best chance that I don't believe we've seen the best of Darnell Nurse yet. Why? Because, again, for the billionth time, it's the combination of size, skating ability, work ethic, IQ. The kid's work ethic is second to none. It's legendary. Combine that with a very high IQ and all the athletic ability in the world, what a phenomenal skater. I don't think we rave about his skating enough. Oh, let's throw in there, too, that he plays with a nasty edge that he's taken out of his game some, but last year it actually came back a little bit because I think he he started feeling confident enough to use it again and realized maybe that he had to use it. And I'm not one of these guys who buys the analytics on Darnell Nurse. I really don't. Um, You know, the one stat that constantly gets thrown out is, ah, look at how bad he is away from McDavid. Well, okay, but you're the same people who are livid that the Oilers have no depth, like myself. And, uh, you know, if the Oilers have no depth, then Darnell Nurse is playing with dog bleep. Remember, PG. This podcast is now PG. Jeepers creepers. He's playing with a terrible lineup past Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. So of course he gets drugged down compared to other defensemen who play on teams with depth. 
either you're just that much of a slave to the analytic numbers, or you just don't want to hear anything other than what they tell you. Probably the latter. But that also suggests that probably shouldn't pay Darnell Nurse like he's a number one when everything indicates that he isn't. And again, he can live up to this contract. It's not that he can't. But (laughs) you don't pay for what a guy can be unless they're, say, 21, 22, you know, they're coming out of their ELC contract. You don't go in, you don't pay for unrestricted free agency years as to what a guy can be. That's what they did with Hyman. That's what they've done with Nurse. And that's what bad teams do. Everything needs to go right for the Oilers to be a contender this year. And I'm not even talking about, I'm fine. I've said this before, I'll say it again. I'm fine with them waiting on the goaltending situation and addressing it mid-season. The only thing that's scary about that is if Koskinen gets back to his 2020 form and Smith regresses again, then it's like, oh, man, you're just, you're tied up again. I can't believe there's people that want to try and defend the Darnell Nurse and that still want to try and defend the Oilers as an organization. You can be an Oilers fan and admit that the organization is terrible. They don't have to go hand in hand. I would I would probably say that people who blindly defend the organization hurt it more than they help it. Because then, you know, these people who are ruining all of our favorite teams are running it into the ground because they get that satisfaction that, hey, you know, this guy thinks I'm doing the right job. You're not. You know, this loyalist and this apologist, they think that we're doing good. You're not. It's terrible. It's terrible. And, man, like, what's next? Like, I fully expect that I don't think I don't think people understand what an important prospect Dmitry Samarukov is at this moment. I would I would put in in terms of importance, I would put Dmitry Samarukov probably number one on the importance of panning out. It's not that he's the best prospect. It's that it is vital he pans out because he can play both sides and he has the ability to be a shutdown defenseman. He has the ability to be an Adam Larson type defenseman. Philip Broberg has all-world ability. So if you want to argue that, that's fine. But Philip Broberg, uh, much more so, we're getting rain. Maybe I should go back to just doing the road trip and forget about talking about the Oilers. Getting a little bit of rain here. Um, Broberg's got all-world ability. But Broberg, I don't believe he's ever going to play the right side. He obviously has at times 
but he is primarily a left-shot defenseman. Where Sam Rukov is a guy who looks looks like he prefers playing on the right side, even though he's a left-shot as well. That system is so vital. Because you look at the holes that they still have. If you want to say that Ryan McLeod's still a prospect, cool. So then they still need a third-line center. They still need some depth. Enter Dylan Holloway as well. They still need a, a guy who can big-time shoot it, even though I'm, I'm not a sniper fan at all. You know, I've said it a billion times, I don't believe snipers truly move the needle for a team. But the Oilers really need a guy who can rip it. Raphael Lavoie is that guy. It is so vital. It is so vital. And then Stuart Skinner. Given that the Oilers next year, think about this. If Yassi Pogliarvi pops this season like many are thinking he's going to continually do, he's going to get offer sheeted or they're going to have to trade him. Because they now can't afford him. And some blame should go to Darnell Nurse on this, too. Uh, someone on Twitter said it best. Connor McDavid continues to be the only one who's taken a hometown discount to play with Connor McDavid. Like, don't get me wrong here. Darnell Nurse earned... You know, you, you, you are... You are what the market says you are. He has earned his contract. I'm not trying to dump on the guy at all. But at the same time, do you understand how a decision like this, and Zach Hyman, do you understand how a decision like this, and, you know, so many of these guys who got overpaid, Duncan Keith not forcing the Hawks' hand and maybe saying, like, hey, you guys need to overpay, because, like, things could have been done to save three, four million dollars on the cap. They weren't. Oh, but Oscar Kleppbaum's not coming back. Yeah, we know. They're going to desperately need that $4 million now. They're going to desperately need Philip Broberg to pan out now. If you ask me, Broberg spends next year in Bakersfield the entire season, and they're probably going to have to start him with the Oilers the following season on the third pair. I guess you could run it back with Russell as your number six defenseman another time on a, say, $1 million deal, something along those lines. But and we, who knows, we might see Broberg this year. And, hey, if you want to say, hey, look, you know, they're loaded. Look, they got this guy and that guy. Yeah, like there, there's some positives. Their good prospect pool is loaded with guys who are ready to step in. Hollow, like, I don't know about ready, but close. Sam Marukov's close. Broberg's close. Holloway's close. McLeod, I assume he's there. Bouchard, I assume he's there. Um, Skinner's close. Lavois close. You know, if you want to put Soderlund in that, yeah, he's close. But, geez, you're banking on 
so many gambles going right and so many unproven kids panning out in a hurry. This is bad management. This is bad, bad, bad management. I continue to say it, and I'll say it again. The Edmonton, the two most vital players on the team next year are Evan Bouchard and Cody Ceci. Evan Bouchard needs to be developed into a top-pairing defenseman by the time the playoffs come around, and Cody Ceci needs to become Adam Larson. Or close to Adam Larson. And I guess if you want to throw a third one in, although this one kind of goes without saying, Duncan Keith has to turn back the clock a little bit and become a top-20 defenseman in the league again. Those are three... Oh... If I had to rank them in order, I'd say Bouchard becoming a number one pairing defenseman is the most likely. I think him and Nurse have all the makings to be an elite pair. I really do. Uh, that's not lost on me. But CC and that second pair, like that might not even be a... The Oilers right now might only have two top four defensemen. Think about that. And I'm not saying they do. But that might be the case. By mid-season, we might be saying, holy heck, PG, this team only has two top four defensemen. Because I don't feel like Barry's that guy. Don't give me his freaking, PG, numbers. I don't even go off the analytics, although I do have a rule with analytics, that if a puck mover grades bad, that's a big red flag. Conversely, if a stay-at-home defenseman grades good, that's a big-time green light. Adam Larson became a big-time green light last year. Adam Pellick is a big-time green light. Jacob Slavin, big-time green light. Tyson Berry? Red, I keep saying green light. I, I don't know. Whatever something positive is. But Tyson Berry, grading terrible? Huge red flag. But beyond that, watching Tyson Berry last season, the thing that I noticed in his game, he wasn't ever creating things. I never, ever felt like Tyson Berry was creating. He was there. He was up in the rush. But he wasn't creating anything. And I've said this a million times. I'm big on playmakers. You know, if Tyson Berry was somewhat like Eric Carlson, I'd love him. And I I don't mind the move of signing Berry. I said this before. I'll say it again. I don't mind the contract. I don't mind that they signed him and then used Bear as trade bait. I hate that they got killed on the deal for Bear. But the the actual decision to re-sign Berry and then move Bear, I understand that one. That one I have no problem with. They should have got more for Ethan Bear, but that's a different, you know, different story for a different day. What can they do to salvage this? I said this last time. I would get rid of Zach Cassian. I don't think they are. Why? Because Zach Cassian next season, uh, his trade. If he has another terrible year, his trade value is going to be in the toilet. And uh, yeah, then you're going to have 3.2 million of dead space. Uh, for a team that can't afford $3.2 million in dead space. The way it sits right now, with Cassian and Clefbaum, 
the Oilers could still clear over seven million, seven point three, I believe it would be. Oh, we got an accident. Oh, oh. I hope it's nothing bad because yeah. And for those of you wondering, yes, I, I will address something um, towards the end of this that happened to me lately. If you're wondering why is this psycho not bringing this up yet, well. We'll get to that. Oh, this is this is actually bad. Oh, this is yeah. This is oh, this is not good. Ambulance. Vehicles are kind of everywhere. This is not cool in any way. It looks like people are, well, blanking around people. There's a vehicle off the highway. Doesn't look like anybody's upset, so that's the good news. Yeah, I didn't expect to have that happen on this podcast, but, uh, Anyway, um, yeah, that kind of took the wind out of the sails of the podcast. I apologize. I hope everyone in that accident is uh, is okay. Um, you know, I I, I kind of let out a little bit of a chuckle there because it's like, um, you know, I feel guilty. You know, and I when I get nervous, I laugh. It's or feel uncomfortable, and I laugh. Some of the guys at work are starting to nickname me Chuckles, which, uh, you know, I, I wish they'd be more creative, but it's fair. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway. I don't even remember where I was. I just know that the others have to have everything go right for this plan to work because their cap situation is terrible. Uh, oh, yeah, that's where I was. $7.3 million is is what maybe Holland can still clear for next season. Uh, that would get them up around 14 million. Of course, they haven't uh, they haven't re-signed Yamamoto yet. I would guess that's two times two. That's my guess, uh, which wouldn't be bad. Well, knowing the Oilers, actually, you know what? Let's readjust that because let's think about it. How the Oilers are the Oilers? Probably two times three. Two years, three per. Which isn't horrible either, but, you know, when you consider in 2020 the kid came up and was a point-per-game player at even strength. (laughs) But he sure wasn't that guy last year. I didn't think his game really took that much of a backward step. It's just he didn't produce. Man alive, they're in trouble. And that's fourteen million too. That sounds good. You know, let's assume that it's eleven million. Think about the holes they still have. They would still have uh you know, a need for a number one goaltender. It's a big hole. <laughs> like man alive, that's a big hole. You know, you've got to at least dedicate, a, you know, about a million dollars to any replacement. 
and I think they only have 12, 13, I think it would be 13 players under contract. So, you know, you consider that's 10 players you'd have to add. And I'm doing this without cap friendly in front of me or anything, so forgive me if I'm getting these numbers wrong. But that's 10 mil right there that you kind of got to dedicate to the other guys coming in. You only have 11. Like, this is bad. This is a very bad situation. Yes, they pull the Arby's in his last season. This is the reality. Pick your poison. Yes, a Poliarvi either has a terrible season or the Oilers lose him. Pick your poison because Ken Holland created this mess. If they were smart right now, they'd look to do a one- or two-year extension on Poliarvi for about, I don't know, three mil per maybe three and a half mil. I don't know if Pooley Army would sign that, but I would definitely look to do some kind of extension on him. It's bad. It's bad. Um, okay, I got a coffee to drink, so I'm going to end the podcast, but before I do, um, last podcast I did... I had a I had a best friend who was uh, who was sick, and uh, I mentioned it on the podcast, and he'd asked to go out while I was recording. And the whole time he was sick, we uh, were told that there's no way it could be cancer. There's no way it's something with his stomach. It, it's not cancer. He's too young to have cancer. Uh, anyway, woke up on the Friday morning, put the podcast out. Griffey was still sick, and so and he threw up. So immediately, I, uh, you know, was on the phone with my ex Steph, and who I still have an awesome relationship with. And uh, I said, "We got to get him." I, luckily, I was on an off day from work, and I said, "We got to, we got to get him to the vet." now again and not thinking anything was too terribly wrong just that we need to figure this out because I can't stand to see him in pain like this and uh, and this has to end it had been a month since he first got sick and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him and uh, so the vet asked to do uh, exploratory surgery and both of us were all in favor of it because we wanted him healthy. We didn't care. You know, he laid out what the cost would be. We didn't care. Yep, sounds good. Do it. And when they did it, they immediately found that he was filled up with cancerous tumors. And uh, we didn't have a choice. And it's been uh, eight days now. 
I, uh, when this podcast first got going, I, um, believe it or not, I, I'm getting teared up again. <laughs> if I would have done this about <laughs> six days ago, I would have been just sobbing the entire time. I, it's, this is actually a real good progression since, uh, last week. <laughs> Um, when I first started doing this podcast, we we uh, we got Griffey. I, I started doing this in late September 2018. Uh, we got him December 12, 2018. And uh, you know, for a lot of people, they say, oh, "I just." dog, it's just a dog, he was way more than just a dog, for me and for Steph, um, he was very much so like our son, he was spoiled to no end, but he was, I know everybody says you're, the, you know, the best boy, it's a cliche, he was perfect, he was exactly what I always wanted my dog to be, my best friend, huge personality, loved everyone, happy as can be, the only times he wasn't happy were if you weren't happy, which has kind of been what's helped get me through this a little bit, is knowing that, you know, you can't let him see you this way. But, uh, but yeah, everything about him, good and bad, made him perfect for me. And he was just getting to the point, too, where he was, he was, his, you know, his his puppy was kind of, he was, he was becoming a dog more than a puppy, and he, while he didn't really lose anything that we loved about him, in fact, he didn't lose anything that we loved about him, he was still maturing, so, like, he was still a little, he was still a little dipshit, it's <laughs> still, I always called him a little bastard, uh, he was still a little bastard, but he was maturing to where he wasn't so excited and knew when to behave, kind of, if that makes sense. And so I was more and more starting to not even have to take him on a leash. He was so smart and so loyal. Um, Yet he still had a mind of his own. But um, anyway, I've, uh, I've talked about Griffey ad nauseum on this podcast, and, uh, yeah, last Friday was definitely the worst day of my life, and, uh, you know, I always talk about monetizing this podcast and doing things, and, and, uh, in the fall, I, I, I'm hoping to amp it up, or at least sometime, I, I know I always say that, and I never do it, um, you know, life kept getting in the way, I, I, I won't, Yes, anyone. I have had a horrible, horrible 
18 months or so. And I know a lot of people have through this pandemic, but, you know, I lost a bit, you know, I lost buying a business because of the pandemic. I lost what I thought was going to be my wife during the pandemic. Although, again, we have a great relationship and there's no animosity there whatsoever. Uh, and, and now I lost him during this pandemic. And, uh, you know, I don't mean to, I hate people who play the victim. I know a lot of people who want to play the victim 24-7, and it's just ridiculous. Get so sick of it. And I hope that's not what I'm sounding like here, but I mean, I I, I, I kind of, I have some, pre- I have pretty good self-awareness. And, uh, I, I know when, I know when I'm just being a baby and need to suck it up, and I know when things are actually not bouncing your way and life's repeatedly kicking you in the nuts and you know you actually are the victim and the only the only thing I can take out of this is is Michael Jordan always said especially talking about when his when his father was murdered he said you know take the negative and turn it into a positive and one of the things through this that that uh, pumps me up is when I do decide to take this more, you know, try and make something of this more than just a, you know, show where I'm ranting and raving into a phone for an hour. Is, uh, is I want to do charity work. I've always said I wanted to do, you know, use the platform for that kind of stuff too. And it wouldn't be just for one charity, but, uh, you know, I, I would love to do a show an annual event, you know, maybe on October 19th, which is his birthday, and, uh, you know, it'd be a good day for it, and I, I could, I could do a fundraiser, and, uh, in his honor, and, and, uh, you know, donate, uh, you know, I've been looking into different charities, I, I want to say one is, uh, uh, the Canine Cancer Foundation, and, uh, you know, keeping his memory alive in several ways, because even though he only got two and a half years or 33 months uh, on this planet, um, if I did it right, his impact could last a lifetime, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's something I'd want, so... Uh, you know, I thought I had to say something about it, because, uh, he's, he's been part of the show over the years, and, yeah, I'm going to miss him, so, kind of a, kind of a sad note to end the show, but, uh, I had to throw it in there somewhere, so, uh, yeah. Thanks for checking out the Soups on Hockey podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Campbell. We'll catch you next time.